who are joining us for the very first time we're involved in a sermon series entitled we are family in this series we're looking at what scripture has to say to us about how we are to relate to and care for one another in the church which is the family of God specifically we're looking at those passages of scripture that are commonly referred to as the one another text we kicked off this series by looking at the one another that sums all one another's and that is the command to love one another my challenge after week one is for every single person to pray, memorize, and live 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. I got some really good news for you this morning. I'm not going to ask anyone to repeat it because Bob Rusheska, as he was cleaning up communion supplies, said the whole memory verse in my ear right down here on the front row. And so you can express your appreciation to Bob this morning, getting everyone off the hook. Uh, we appreciate Bob's dedication to that. And so instead, what I want to invite you to do is open your Bibles to the book of James. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, we read these words. Confess your sins to each other. And my initial response is, thank you, but no thank you, James. That sounds like an awful and terrifying idea to me. Yeah, I'm okay confessing to you that maybe I ate a little too much junk food last night or that I chuckled at an inappropriate joke told by a comedian on TV. But the thought of you actually knowing some of the thoughts that rumble through my mind and decisions that I have made and some of the things that I've said and done in my life, that makes me want to break out in a cold sweat. Does anybody else here feel the same way? Okay. So I am cool with, if you are, us sticking to this unwritten agreement that we have in the family of God that we're just going to all pretend that we've got our lives and our junk all together. You good with that? I'm good with that. Some of you are saying no, and I'm glad. Because the Holy Spirit who inspired James to write these words, he's not good with that. In fact, the Holy Spirit expects the family of God to be a confessional community. Now, there's still a part of me, and maybe you're the same way, that truly wants to fold my arms and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Next sermon, please. Move on. Because this is not something I want to do. And obviously, we all have the right to make that decision, but I want to remind you that confessing to one another is not a suggestion, it is an expectation. James is not offering helpful advice. James is sharing a thus saith the Lord. This is a command. And it's not a one and done command. The verse tense in the original language indicates that confessing to one another should be a regular part of our lives. Much like taking a shower or brushing your teeth or putting on clean underwear. Now, you may go a few days in between those things, but you don't want to go too many, right? That's just not a wise choice. And it's not a wise choice to go too many days between actually confessing the sin struggles that you have in your life with someone else. 
You say, aren't you overstating this, Smith? Why is it so important to confess to others? Isn't confessing to God good enough? Well, confessing to God should be priority number one. After all, every time we sin, even when our sin is against another person, it is ultimately against God. David sinned against Bathsheba when he made the decision to use her for his personal pleasure. He sinned against Uriah when he made the decision to steal his wife and then take his life. But David understood first and foremost his sin was against God. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 4, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God deserves our confession, and it is God who offers pardon. I don't forgive sin. The elders don't forgive sin. The person that you hurt with your sin does not forgive sin. That person may choose to forgive you for the hurt that they caused in your life, in their life, but they don't forgive sin. It's God alone who offered his son, Jesus Christ, as a sin, of, sin offering that forgives sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And not only does God forgive sin, but he is eager to do so. 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God isn't stingy with his forgiveness. And he doesn't make us jump through hoops to secure his forgiveness. He eagerly, generously, and graciously forgives us of our sin. See, the last thing that I desire this morning is for anyone who is a baptized believer to walk out of this place questioning the security of their salvation because they have yet to work up the courage to share with another person their own sin struggles. But at the same time, we need to confess our sins to one another. Why do we need to do that? Well, a couple of reasons. Let's begin here. First, confession is key to overcoming habitual sin. Quick show of hands. Who continues to struggle with a specific sin in their life even though you have confessed that sin to God and you have promised yourself you're never going to do that again? Okay, just about everybody's hand went up. A few hands didn't go up, which tells me these are the people who struggle with habitual lying, laziness, and pride. And that's good to know. Seriously, there are sinful attitudes and thoughts and behaviors that are really tough for us to shake, right? Do you want victory over those sins? Some of us don't. Most of us do. We're tired of feeling guilty. Tired of being ashamed. We're tired. And if that describes you, please know that as much as you want to be free of those particular sins, you'll continue to live in bondage until you find the courage to share that particular sin struggle with another person. You see, one of the reasons many of us can't seem to shake certain sins is because we want to rationalize them. 
We say things like this. I don't, I don't mean to gossip about Sally by sharing what she shared with me in confidence. I'm simply sharing this with you because I want you to be praying for her. And if it's not rationalization, what others of us struggle with is we want to justify our sin. And so we say things like this, I know I shouldn't lose my temper, but you make me so angry. We rationalize, we justify, and then other of, others of us, we just kind of want to downplay those sins, don't we? We say things like this, oh sure, I, I tell a few racist jokes from time to time, but that's nothing compared to what I heard growing up in my household. And this is one of the reasons confession is so important. The word for confession in the original language literally means to say the same thing. It is to agree with someone or something. In confessing, I am verbally stating that I agree with God that my sinful attitude, thought, and behavior is evil and it is sin. And so why is it so important to confess to others? When we confess to others, we place them in a position in which they can help us be honest about whether or not we are fully owning that sin or if we're tr still trying to dismiss it in some way or another. They're in position to say, no, nah, I, I still hear you rationalizing that. I, I still kind of sense that you're justifying it. I get the idea you're still kind of downplaying it. We will not have sustained victory until we own our sin fully. And not only does confession help us own our sin fully, but it brings sin into the light. And this is absolutely necessary for sustained victory over sin. And this being the case, my encouragement to you is not to wait to confess your sin until after you sin, but is actually to confess that temptation, that sin, the moment, the moment it hits your hearts. I truly believe that's what James is calling us to do in this text. In chapter 1 of this letter, he tells us all about how sin works in our life. He says in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 50, 15, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for I cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. The goal is to nip sin in the bud before it's full grown, right? It better be. It has to be. Because death is a bad place to be be it death of a career, death of a marriage, death of a reputation, death of joy in your life. That's not the place that you want to end up. And the best way to kill sin is to actually throw light on it the moment you experience temptation. Now, how exactly do you do that? By confessing that particular temptation to God and to at least one other person. Ephesians chapter 5, we're reminded that light not only exposes sin, but it also transforms us. 
Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 through 13. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Take note of that. Listen to it again. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Some of the best lights for Jesus Christ I have ever known are recovering addicts. These individuals have a powerful story to share of how the love and grace of God has truly set them free from things like alcohol and drugs and food and sex. But every single one of these people, I promise you, will tell you that in order to get clean and to stay sober, they had to come out of the hiding and start sharing. Regardless of what sin you struggle with in your life, be it drugs, be it greed or lust or a cynical, critical spirit, the same will hold true for you. Now, Satan's going to do his very best to keep you from sharing that particular sin in your life. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to become a light for Jesus Christ. He wants you to continue to live in the shadows, paralyzed by shame, paralyzed by guilt, paralyzed by doing battle with that particular secret sin. So he will tell you this. He will tell you that if you get real with people about who you are and what you struggle with, those individuals, they'll reject you and or the consequences you're going to have to pay for those particular sins, they're way too high for you to actually risk sharing. And yes, there's a chance you're going to have to pay some consequences for the sins that you're involved in. There's a chance that some people are going to be disappointed with the decisions that you've made in your life. But my question for you this morning is this. Do you want to live in victory or defeat? Do you want to live in freedom? Close to God or do you want to be distant from God? Do you want to be a force for God or do you want to be a bench warmer? Those are the questions that I hope that you'll take into consideration as you're trying to determine whether or not to live a confessional life. See, by confessing to others, we're also enlisting help. You may not think you need help, but if sin is habitual in your life, obviously you do. When we confess to others, they're now in position to help us. They're in position to regularly ask us, How are you doing? Are you making progress in who you want to be? They're in a position to offer really positive encouragement. I believe you can do this. They're in a position to be praying for us. And that prayer is the most important thing we can do for those who share their struggles with us. You continue in James chapter 5 and verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And healing is one of the things that we need the most, most when there's unconfessed sin in our life because that, that weight of sin, it does emotional and physical and spiritual damage. Just ask David. 
David shares in Psalm chapter 38 and verse 3 through 4, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. This is David after about a year of going with that unconfessed sin of what he had done in the life of Bathsheba and Uriah. And God finally gets his attention. This is what he prays. This is how he says he's been feeling all this time. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by it. I've been hurting physically. I've been hurting emotionally because this is the impact that unconfessed sin has on a person's life. It's true in David's life. It's true in our life. This isn't a script, but it, there's a book entitled The Body Keeps the Score. I haven't read the book. Maybe many of you have, but it says this. What you're feeling in your body, the pain, the aches, the weariness, it's exactly a reflection of what you're dealing with emotionally so many times. And so many times what we're dealing with emotionally is coming right out of that stuff in our life that we know God doesn't want us to do. We keep participating in, but we're not sharing it with anyone else. We're not owning it. And so it's having this impact upon us emotionally and physically as well, not to mention spiritually. We need prayer, and we need the prayer of those who take their sins seriously. Continue reading in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, confession is key to overcoming habitual sin, but second, confession is key to, over, or to experiencing God's grace. It's key to experiencing God's grace. So over a decade ago, I, I drove two and a half hours to meet with two of my closest friends at a California pizza kitchen. At the time, there were few people that knew me as well as Scott and Brad, but they didn't know everything about me. And I knew for my own well-being that needed change. But I was still extremely nervous about how they might respond to the ugly and broken parts of my life. I, I, was, I was very nervous that they might blast me for my failures, that they might dismiss me as their friend, they might tell me that I was a, a fraud and a huge disappointment. And I wouldn't have blamed them if they would have responded in any of those ways. But they didn't. Yes, they were disappointed to hear about some of the things that I'd been struggling with. Just as I was disappointed to have to share that with them. However, instead of wallowing in those disappointments, they very quickly changed the conversation. They begin to say things like this, Sean, we absolutely love you. And they committed to how thankful they were to be my friend. And they shared with me just positive words of affirmation, and they told me that they believed with all their might that I could have victory, and they assured me that they'd be with me every step of the way. Before I ever sat down at that table in California Pizza Kitchen, I knew I had already been forgiven by God 
But when I left that place, I felt God's grace in the depths of my being. And just about every time I have chosen to confess rather than to remain hidden, that has been my experience. I believe this is one of the reasons that James calls us to confess to one another. So that we might know God's love, grace, and care, not just intellectually, but experientially. And of course, for God's grace to be poured out through us, we must respond to confession in the right way. We should never downplay or excuse another person's sin struggle, but we must respond to sin in the same way that Jesus did. And how did Jesus respond to sin? Well, listen to the words that he spoke to a woman who was caught in the midst of adultery and there are those who are around her that wanted to execute her. John chapter 8, just beginning in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. How did Jesus respond? Jesus chose to love rather than condemn. Jesus chose to protection and care. And Jesus also challenged this woman to live her life differently. Now please hear me on this. Love is accepting and caring for a person fully. But to not challenge a person to leave their life of sin is an incredibly unloving act. In fact, I would go so far as to call it hateful. And finally, confession is the key to more authentic relationship. This is why this is so important. As I had mentioned, I, the time few people knew me as well as Brad and Scott and our relationship was really strong before that conversation at California Pizza Kitchen. But then it, it is nothing like the relationship that the three of us share today. The relationship is so much better now than it was then. You say, what changed? Well, prior to that conversation, they knew a, a part of me. A, a big part of me, but it was still a part of me. You might even say they, they knew an, an image of me. They knew an image that I tried hard to create and I tried very hard to protect. But today they know the real me. They, they know the good and the bad. And sure, they already knew some of the bad just based on observation, right? We can't hide all of our bad. People pick up on some of it. But now they know just how bad that bad can go when left unchecked. And what I know is this, 
I don't have to pretend anymore. I can just be me. And since that conversation, we talk about things we didn't talk about before. And my willingness to open up to them also set the table for willingness to open up to me. And now they can talk about their good and they can talk about their bad. And we have a relationship that is so much deeper and richer than anything I would have ever imagined. Confession is key for relationships. It is also key to repairing relationships. When we confess to those who have been hurt by our sin, we're taking a very important and necessary step really try to mend that relationship. Confessing our sin, we, we are saying to the other person, you know what, I own my sin fully. And I'm very sorry about the pain that I have caused to you. And that's so vitally important if we want to try to get that relationship right. But here's what's important is that we confess in the right way. And what's the right way to confess? No excuses, full responsibility. No excuses, full responsibility. Now, there is no guarantee that the person will choose to forgive you, and there's no guaranteeing that they'll want to remain in relationship. But the odds of reconciliation are much greater if you confess rather than try to sweep those failures under the rug. Rather than trying to justify, rationalize, or downplay, if you confess fully, the odds go up immensely and those odds continue to go up if you make amends if there is a way to make amends at the same time again no guarantee the reconciliation will take place guarantee or no guarantee this is the right thing to do it is the right thing to do so let me just kind of wrap this up by quickly answering a few questions that you might be asking if you're not asking these questions, you probably should be asking these questions, okay? So here we go. Here's question number one. When should I confess? Answer, ASAP. Don't wait until you feel like it because you probably never will. So do it immediately. Number two, who should I confess to? Confess to a godly person who cares about you. A godly person who cares about you. Now, the temptation will be to find somebody who will tell you that your sin struggle is not that big. That's the person we want to confess to, right? Because that makes us feel a whole lot better. But that may make you feel better, and it may be easier to have that conversation, but that does you absolutely zero good. What we need is for people who are godly, who care about us, who will be in the of it to help us fight to overcome our sin that's what we need how should i confess here's the big one let me ask you this what's the best way to get into a, an ice cold swimming pool is it to tip your toe in Go. you jump in right and the same goes with confession the same is true of confession don't just pull out little tips and get closer and closer. Jump in. Full confession. And when you do that, be specific. None of this, hey, I just need you to know I'm struggling with sin. Okay, I think we all know that, right? Be specific. Name the sin. 
I'm struggling with gluttony. Name it. And then give an example. So it may sound like something like this. I'm struggling with gluttony. Every time I drive home from work, I stop at McDonald's. I order a Big Mac, large fries, and an 86-ounce Coca-Cola, and I inhale it all before I get home. And when I get home, if my wife notices the ketchup stain on the side of my mouth and asks, what's that? I tell her it's lipstick because I'd rather her think I'm having an affair than for her to know about how I'm clogging my arteries. And so you get specific and you give examples so people know what you're dealing with. Okay, so can you guess what the challenge is for this week? Yeah, you got it. Tell someone else about a sinful attitude, thoughts, or behavior you're struggling with. Now, Satan will try to shame you when you do this, make you feel really bad about yourself. But please know this, is that what you're doing is an act of obedience. And God's pleasure and God's blessing Rest on those who obey him fully. Maybe this moment is the moment the Holy Spirit's working on you and you need to take that step. And we're going to transition in just a moment. We're going to go to Bible classes. What I would say is this, is the more time the evil one can put or distance between what we're talking about right now and when you take action, the less likelihood there will be that you actually take action. You understand what I'm saying, right? So right now, some of you may be feeling convicted, thinking, I I need to talk to someone about this particular thing going on in my life. I I really feel I need to do it now, but but we're going to be in a hurry. I've got to visit with so-and-so about plans for this afternoon. I need to make lunch arrangements with so-and-so, and and then I've got to get to Bible class, and we're going to go to Bible class, and then I'm going to go to lunch with so-and-so. You know what? I'll probably do this around 5 or 6 or 9 o'clock tonight. You won't. You won't. And so if you're in that place that you need to, don't, don't miss out on this opportunity to experience God's blessing by taking this step. Find somebody right now. So there'll be elders and their wives around the auditorium ready to pray with you. And maybe that's the person you go to. Or maybe it's a good friend in this church. And maybe as we sing, and I'll just invite the praise team to come on up. Maybe as we're singing together, you, you just kind of silently, quietly go tap that person on the shoulder and say, hey, can we just go have a conversation? You step out here in the courtyard, you get somewhere else, and you have that conversation. Maybe you're not even sure who that person is. Let, let me just make this offer. My office is right outside this courtyard. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go stand around there. If there's anybody that would just like to have a conversation and, and spend some time in prayer, I'd love to spend some time in prayer with you. And please know this, you will be loved fully because God loves you fully. But we also want to be a people who help each other grow and become like Jesus. And so we'll challenge each other to take those next steps. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. To those of you who are watching online, we love and appreciate you and miss you.